Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. What do lustful people and discontent people have in common? Well, we all have a battle to fight. For many listeners, the struggle with lust for a person that's outside your marriage is what today's topic is all about. Let me repeat that. If as I'm talking about this subject, a person's face outside your marriage is coming to your mind, please commit your attention. For others, it's the incessant discontentment with our marriage, our homes, our lives, our kids, which practically speaking has the exact same root as someone who's lusting for someone outside their marriage. The world has decided that lust is really not that bad because it couples well with our complete agreement with discontentment. Discontentment and lust are big business. We keep our cars about a year to two years with over 13 cars in most people's lifetimes. We change jobs every one to two years with about 15 over a lifetime. And the average marriage right now is lasting about eight years. It's all because we're unhappy. We want change to be in our favor. Lust, if we look at it defined biblically, I think is best summed up by what we read in 1 John chapter 2. This is verses 15 through 17. It says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Sin makes promises of pleasure and joy, but it leaves us with shame and regret. Can you relate to this? In your experience with lust or discontentment, have you ever unmasked its real face? Is it rooted in sin? Before we end today, we're going to look at what the real solution to the problem is. That's the gospel. Lust begins in our heart, and if our solution doesn't start there, we'll never conquer this sin. We want to get very practical. No matter how old you are or what your track record is like with this sin, There's something that you need to acknowledge. If you're going to have any success, you must see that you have a battle to fight. If you think of battling lust or discontentment with any less vigor than a battle would require, then you will become much more familiar with defeat than victory. Here are some aspects of this fight that we hope will help you to fight well. And the first is, you must fight lust by fighting with truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says that no temptation has overtaken you. That's not uncommon to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, this verse is not just a promise that you're going to have to struggle, but in fact, one that says you can win. It's a promise also that your struggle is not unique and that God will be there to provide grace for escape. We can fight lust and discontentment by fighting to pay attention to the details. 
It is critical that you understand the specifics of your temptation and the way that sin might be linked to it. Maybe your specific temptation is not an issue on Wednesday night because you're in a small group of friends who encourage you. Maybe a detail you need to pay attention to is that you're tempted on your drive home from work because of a billboard that you see. You're tempted lying awake at night, having trouble controlling your thoughts. Know the specifics of your temptation, like you're more prone to it just after you and your spouse have had a big fight or right before your Thursday morning class. The more you understand about your specific struggle, the more you'll be able to fight temptation well. When you know that your particular temptation is about to come, you can arm yourself with accountability to get through it. You can arm yourself with God's word and you'll have it at the ready right when you need it. In that accountability, the thing is you can't wimp out and make this someone else's responsibility. You also can't wimp out and say that the billboard or the fight with your spouse is the cause for your lust. Sin is sin and we need to own it. And our goal should be to repent of it, to turn completely away from it. We started this broadcast by pointing out how lust and discontentment are linked. If you're fighting discontentment, don't be surprised if this changes the lust issue that your spouse might be dealing with, or conversely so. One of the dynamics of lust to understand is the way that it flourishes in certain environments. One of these environments is discontentment. When our hearts have lost their joy, when they've lost peace, and our hearts are dwelling in discontentment, sins like lust can quickly become our escape. We turn to so many ungodly things for rescue, just a moment of pleasure to be kind of like medicine in that situation, a cheap, ineffective one, but a quick fix nonetheless. Discontentment can be a particular temptation when we find ourselves in hard marriages or dealing with maybe unemployment or career letdown, chronic financial stress, or long-term illness. Such difficulties tempt us to act out. We want to turn to something to medicate that pain. My job is a nightmare. If I can't have the job I want, at least I'm going to find some pleasure in this pornography. So how do you medicate? For one couple, the wife's consistent discontentment in her marriage caused severe debt, while each detail of her home was basically made picture perfect. However, she eventually watched it age, as all houses do, and this cycle repeats itself in this family over and over and over again. Truth is critical. If your temptation is material or physical, God can give that biblical escape that he talks about in the verses we just read if you will turn your eyes toward him. Now, biblical escape for one person might look like God planting in their heart a compassion for children in third world countries who don't even have the most basic needs in their homes, a place where your financial investment can create lasting contentment rather than a temporary trapping in your own home. Sometimes I think we are aware of the obvious. Here in America, we turn to pornography a lot but we are content not to link it to a sin issue or change in our lives, which will change the status quo. If you attempt to battle your lust problem by memorizing Job 31.1, which says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? You might not be getting the whole picture. If your battle is discontentment with the situation or anger at God for giving a trial to you, you'll be well served turning to words in the Bible that speak of his fatherly love for you. His sovereign care for you is perfect and His grace is sufficient even for this particular trial. 
You need to spend more time praying about the difficulty and biblical responses to your trials than just your battle with pornography alone. This is not a silver bullet, but just one more insight to arm you. The fourth concept in the fight against lust and discontentment is to fight with others. By simple observation of God's design for marriage, we see that sex is not the problem, lust is. So accountability must be part of your arsenal in this fight. 1 John chapter 1, I'm going to pick it up in verse 5, shows us some aspects of biblical accountability that will bring change and hope. It goes like this, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from that wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, I'm writing this to you that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He's Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all of the world. What a fantastic passage of scripture. I hope that you were listening and picked up on many things in there that we can apply to our lives. The first one is that in the scripture, we see that God is light and he possesses a holiness entirely removed from any and all sin. This is really important because it means that those who fellowship with him and his people must also possess holiness. We too must walk in the light, like it says in 1 John 1, 6 and 7. Ongoing, regular sin in a particular area is a sign that we are not walking in the light. Secondly, this passage shows us that we are the sinners and we need to confess those sins. We need to see that we are those who have sinned, according to 1 John 1.8. We're not perfect and we need to tell this to others. We need to more specifically confess our sins. There is grace when we confess to Christ privately. And you can experience grace in your marriage when you confess to one another specific real sins that you have committed. According to 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That promise holds true. But oh, what blessing and healing come when we bring those sins out into the light and confess the sins we've committed against one another and ask for forgiveness. You're listening to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. Vows to Keep wants to help. If you have a marriage question, please email questions at vowstokeep.com. Vows to Keep will respond to you via email and perhaps use it on the air. Now let's rejoin David and Tracy Sellers with the remainder of today's broadcast. Lust and discontentment thrive in secrecy like a plant thrives in a greenhouse. Don't let it stay secret. Assume that you need brothers or sisters, if you're a woman, to have accountability. They probably can actually identify with your struggle, so don't be afraid. The gospel is designed 
just for sinners. So don't feel like God's grace is not sufficient for you. Don't let the fact that you confessed the same sin last month or even yesterday keep you from confessing it right now. If you're anything like me, I measure my success by how long it's been since I've committed that particular sin. And I try with all my might to make sure that I do not commit that sin, but before I know it, there I go again. But that's not how God measures success, and that's not how you should measure success either. Our success is not based on the amount of time it's been since we've sinned last, but rather our success is based on what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Your sin, my sin, can never, never, never exhaust the riches of grace that we have in Christ Jesus. Your success is based on the fact that you have the power in Jesus Christ right now to overcome that sin in your life. This passage also shows us that we need to remember those who struggle with lust or any other sin can feel like they are beyond the reach of grace. We can also feel like that perfection is the standard for God. And so he's not going to love us if we give him anything less than that. You know what? It's false to believe this. This is not the gospel. The gospel is grace for sinners, not grace for those who are perfect. The Bible and God's power are so that you may not sin. But when we do sin, there is grace for us. In chapter 2, verse 1, we read, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. It's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. If you don't sin, God's blessing is there for you. But if you do sin, God's advocate, Jesus Christ, that righteous one, is there. Do you see how complete the gospel is? It's adequate for the sins of the whole world. Are your sins really greater than anyone else's? Are they any worse than that whole world picture that he's given us there? Even God's people in the Bible committed terrible things like Moses. He was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Peter lied about knowing Jesus. And Paul, boy, he was a murderer of Christians. These are just a small sampling of the sins of the world that Jesus died for. Your sins are not greater than these. There is grace for even you, my friend. So in your accountability, you should be very specific about where you're walking in darkness. The more specific you are, I think the more grace you're going to find coming to you because there's greater humility required to actually do that. You need to be consistent. Don't let months go by before you confess your sins in your marriage. When you know sin is about to overcome you, admit it. Let it be gospel-centered. Don't yell at each other because you've stumbled again. Remind each other the gospel and pray accordingly within your marriage. Now, accountability, as we mentioned here, is the priority. Having a spouse who knows your fight and with whom you can actually be accountable to is very, very ideal. But it's not the only way. If you're a wife who goes shopping to curb your feelings of discontent and you have accountability of your husband or you have accountability of a godly friend, You can see how this will become a force for the change you need. The most important point that we want to make about battling lust and discontentment is that we will be more effective in our struggle if we make the promises of the Bible a part of our arsenal. This means we need to fight lust and discontentment with God's gifts and God's promises. Lust is a promise for pleasure, but it's a false one. We need to get the Bible's promises for pleasure into our souls. These are the true ones. These are the things that don't disappoint. You can memorize a verse like Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, 
There is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In marriage, God graciously gives us everything He wants us to desire. Let me say that again. In marriage, God graciously gives us everything He wants us to desire. And when our passions stay within our marriage, we don't have to use lust to secure the good things that God has intended for us. For those that He has called to marriage, He provides a venue for your passions. It's like giving you an appetite and then serving you a feast. He's the creator of that appetite, and you and I wouldn't have it if He hadn't gifted it to us in the first place. Lust is always used in the Bible with a very negative connotation because, in effect, it's where we're worshiping something that we shouldn't be. So one super solid Bible thumper methodology would be to say, you know what? I should have no desires apart from God himself. And there are lots of people that would never kiss their wife in church, that would never say that they think that their husband is really handsome because that's not godly. This kind of thought process, as prevalent as it is in our churches today, is clearly not correct. God does clearly condone us in marriage to have a desire for our spouse. You're not being more spiritual because you don't have a desire for your spouse. You're being actually more godly by putting your focus and attention on your spouse and in your marriage and not on someone else. This is really obvious to say, but if you watch the behavior of many Christians, we can even look down on people that are being actively engaged with their spouse. Let me give you some things to contrast this. The world would throw a scantily clad woman on the cover of every magazine sitting at the checkout stand of your local supermarket. But God would contrast that by saying it is right and good that you would visually enjoy the wife of your youth, unashamed. The world would say you should be discontent with your five-year-old family wagon. It's not as good as that sexy new Beamer with the distinguished three-piece suit celebrity behind the wheel. It doesn't give you the status that you could have with this kind of a luxury automobile. Your house hasn't been remodeled in a very long time. It doesn't have enough bedrooms or baths. The garage, it's not big enough either. But God would say, hey, have you read Matthew 25, the parable of the talents? I have given you talents, and how you invest them will directly correlate to what I'm going to give you to invest in the future. The world would say the passion of the latest romance novel, or the latest movie, or the physical depictions of a pornographic video are the ultimate and immediate pleasure. God's word would teach that a spiritual intimacy between a husband and a wife can create an environment for emotional and a physical experience that's going to last a lifetime and be second to none. Where Satan seeks to destroy, God's goodness seeks to provide. So what's at the root of all this lust and discontentment that we've been talking about? Could it be the original sin? Could it be pride? Pride says, I know better and I don't need you, God. It's like Psalm 10:4 that says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. In all of his thoughts, there is no room for God. Sometimes that's what our lives are saying. We say, God, you've given me my wife, but you know what? I can do a better job than you. I'm going to go find someone that will really fulfill me. My pride says, I'm able to cover my needs better than you did, Lord. If we look at Satan and Eve in the garden, the lie we buy into is that what Satan is offering is better than God's provision. The wisdom that we have now in retrospect is that it is clearly not better. It takes great humility to receive God's good gifts and kneel before the throne of God and say, you are all I need and you've given me all I need in my life right now. 
Satan is very crafty in how he uses lust and discontentment in our lives because it really is the great distraction. Lust and discontentment distract us from God and everything that He is and everything we have in Him as a gift. It distracts us from our true purpose. Pride says it's all about me, my wants, my desires, my sexual fulfillment. And in that, we are distracted from our true purpose, which is to bring God's kingdom come here on earth, to bring God's kingdom to light. We forget so clearly that we are here today and gone tomorrow. We were not meant to build our kingdoms here and now. We were not meant to declare, I'm God of my own kingdom. Look at everything I've done. If that's what your actions have said, it's time to be convicted with me on this issue. I don't want to be like those in Ephesians chapter 4, where it's said of them that they have lost their sensitivity. They've given in to their continual lust for more. Instead, I want to live out verses like Proverbs 19.23, where it says the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied and he will not be visited by harm. And we need to be filled up by passages like John chapter 6, verse 35, where Jesus says to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me is not going to hunger. Whoever believes in me will not thirst. These words are food for your soul. They help us to see that fighting lust and discontentment is not just avoiding pleasure, but it's actually finding a real and lasting pleasure without regret. We're not denying life for our souls but we're finding it when we turn to Christ instead of that lustful, discontent attitude that we take. I hope that you're able to fight lust and discontentment with the power of the gospel and to the encouragement of your marriage. I hope that you feel encouraged and not condemned. I hope that you see the gospel as Christ's open arms to any and all of us as sinners. It's not just a ticket to heaven. The gospel is not about getting cleaned up and then coming to Christ. It's about coming to him with all the filth, all the struggle that we have, and receiving his grace. If you are indulging in the sin of pornography, if you're running to the false allure, anytime you have the opportunity, you may feel like you've fallen into a deep pit. And every time you get a foothold to start climbing out, you fall right back into the same muck and mire, sinking deeper and deeper each time. David the psalmist talks about being in a slimy pit in Psalm 40, a sin or circumstance in which he called out to the Lord for help. That's the first place to start. When I fell last year 10 feet through a ceiling and onto the concrete below, you better believe that's the first thing I did. My wife called for the neighbor to come and lift me off the floor. There was no way on my own or even with my wife's help that I would be able to get up. But my strong strapping neighbor had what it took. And I was in the car and on the way to the hospital within a matter of minutes. Second, I needed doctors to evaluate my condition. Was my head okay? How about my legs? I needed state-of-the-art machinery to determine how I was really doing. And then, and only then, could the healing and the repair start. Our hearts are the same way. They need the master surgeon to remove our sin, to take out our hard heart of sin, and to replace it with a new heart, with new thoughts. This comes when we're open before God and not only ask for forgiveness, but actually repent to turn completely away from your sin. And after my accident, I was finally released from the hospital. I needed follow-up care, and so do you. Call your pastor. Call a good, godly friend. I needed physical therapy many times a week to get my back and my arm back to a strong and good working order again. And you'll need that repeated exercise 
exercising God's truth every single day. So let our hearts resound with these words from Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8. I said to God, Here I am. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. Lust and discontent can never deliver on its promise, but God always does. You've been listening to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. Vows to Keep offers Christ-centered marriage resources for couples wishing to prepare, enrich, and renew their marriages. These resources include weekend retreats, conferences, date nights, and radio broadcasts across Ohio. Your financial gift will allow Vows to Keep to continue to help couples develop biblically healthy marriages. Please prayerfully consider making a donation to help serve future couples. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible donation or to find out more about Vows to Keep, visit our website at VowsToKeep.com. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.